We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Hello and welcome to Ten Questions. Today's guest is the Bondi hipster turned soulmate, Nick Bosher. Nick's entry into show business was via community radio and managing the singer-songwriter Lior. Then in 2008, he made the YouTube viral sensations Trent from Punchy, which is currently sitting on 9 million views, and Beached As, an animation featuring a Kiwi whale that gets beached, and that reached 10 million views. After that came the ubiquitous Bondi hipsters with Christian and Connor Van Vuren and Soulmates. We'll talk about all that as the episode unfolds, but right now Nick's co-created and starring in the new Amazon sketch series, The Moth Effect, which is currently on the platform and earning great reviews. As usual, I started by asking Nick when he was most happy. I've got to say there was a recent situation where with end of 2019, I broke up with my, my long-term girlfriend thinking that, um, you know, she was not the right one or I was chasing something else or, you know, you name it. And um, I'd always, for the six years that we were together, had half a foot in, half a foot out. And I kind of was in that kind of liminal space of relationship. Then I got hit like a flipping freight train one day where I was like, wait, I think maybe I'm the problem here, not her. And I had this moment where I was like, like a bit fucked up by it actually. Cause you know, she was always so keen and I was kind of like, cool guy <laughs> and and long story short we got back together after about three months more or less she realized um that she was stronger than she thought and i realized i was a bit weaker than i thought in some ways and um when we got back together just that feeling of um you know I kind of pulled myself out of the lie that I could have a thousand experiences with a thousand people, but I could have an infinite amount with one. And in that moment, I was like, we, I had a really serene few months with her just having more or less committed. And I don't necessarily think, you know, people need to be in a monogamous relationship, but what that happiness and contentment feeling was, was that, realization that i was operating on those fucking bullshit ideas um that kind of led me to more or less that really really alkaline point i was like fuck i might have grown up or something you know wow what a beautiful answer that's great (laughs) beautiful question because i was just like man i'm fucking i would say i'm content wow that's great i love it um i've got no further questions on that okay Uh, Who would you, question two, who would you like to apologize to and why? Oh, I've got a couple of those. I think when I was a kid, I was a bit of a, can you swear in this podcast? Oh yeah, for sure. I think I was a bit of a cunt, like like a non-violent, non-mean, yet still a bit of a cunt, if that makes sense. Like I thought I was a nice guy. I was gregarious and friendly to strangers, but then I was a bit of a cunt at school and there was this kid who was a friend of mine. And I would like to apologize to him because in year seven or eight, I was a kid at a private school and needless to say, kind of fairly racist ideas were propagated and supported. And I was mean about his turban and I'll never fucking forget it. And I want to apologize to him. Um, we since had been friends. And so there was some kind of an energetic 
issue that was that was kind of healed but in that moment I kind of at the time I was like whatever man and we're friends I can say whatever the fuck I like yeah but now I realize the gravity at that age wearing a turban in a private boys school when you're the only one at school maybe I've since learned about the significance of the Sikh religion and how fucking beautiful it is really it's interesting I, I think the notion of of young men uh, who have no kind of experience in the world being put into a an elite private school. I don't think that's such a good idea in many ways because they do just, they get ahead of themselves. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just, I don't know. I, I just think at that time you're kind of conditioned at a private boys school to think that you are the best being, having been out of school, you are entitled because you are in a unique situation being at that school and blah, blah, blah. And it, baked into that is obviously your identity and part of that identity is us being kind of you know milky bar kids and it, it, it i wasn't again I, I had kind of friends of different nationalities but i would have these fucking super you know racist ideas that i thought was so totally fine and they were soon beaten out of me very like relatively young fortunately but nonetheless yeah it's uh very like very fortunately different fucking times but i think there's a bit of work to be done to kind of make good on a few of those moments are you still did you, did you say that you're still friends with this guy or yeah we're still friendly we stayed friendly up until the you know the end of the end of school and stuff and then life happened mm. and whenever we saw each other it was very very fond um but uh yeah i still i still think about that in my moments of like man i don't know i don't know i think he might have been a bit of a dingling as a as a kid and, you know, and again, you get older and you get a bit more aware. And yeah, so I think, you know, on the back of this conversation, I might give him a call. Nice one, mate. And uh, question three is, what is your greatest regret? Well, it's baked into kind of my early attempts at, at, at racism, I think. That would be a, a big, a big regret mm. of mine. Um, and also, you know, an, a near regret, which isn't actually definitionally a regret because didn't do it but a near regret of mine was um possibly you know leaving my ex uh well, sorry leaving my now current girlfriend at the time and um I was going to head to the states and kind of set up and I just didn't for whatever reason and that was one of my things that I think about that I would have regretted a huge amount with your um previous job so you you came out of school what did you study at uni oh uh, I, I tried to do an arts degree but I I just didn't finish it. I think if I did on and off about nine months or something like that. And I was just not good. But And then you went into management after that? After that, I actually, um, what did I do? It was not long after that, actually, that I did go into management. I started working with Lior at the kind of final throes of my 21st year. Um, so I traveled for a bit and I did odd jobs and laboring and, and stuff like that. And I was a concrete demolition laborer. And then, then worked with, um, I just went by this, Grace, good grace. I, I met Lior because I was on um, Bondi FM radio show and I saw him play and I got him on my radio show and he was fucking mind-blowing musician and beautiful voice. And um, we just struck up a friendship and quite oddly, uh, six months later, he sent me his, um, when he handed me his demo for Autumn Flow and asked if I'd like to consider managing it. It's fucking weird. And that's how you got into it? That's how it. I got into it, yeah, yeah. 
And so, so you were working as a laborer, and you and you were you you were part of community radio. Yeah. Um, you had your own community radio show. Yeah, and that's right. Got and then through that, I met Leo. And in fact, I did a stint at a little ad agency for a little while called Maverick, which was actually quite good for me because it was my first creative thing that I'd done. So I left school not knowing what fuck I was going to do. I, I genuinely was had no no vision, no nothing at all. And and so yeah, I was I was in my own in very privileged way, like pretty fucking lost nonetheless and that, and and yeah from those few things kind of led me to working with Lior and I so at the time I found it thought it was a calling to work with the arts you know here we get to the part where Nick segues out of music management and into viral videos. First came Trent from Punchy, which is short for Punch Bowl, a suburb in Sydney's west. The conceit was that the filmmakers offered this kid, Trent, played by Nick, $20 to be interviewed on camera, and he lets loose about his best mate, how a lot of birds are after him, and his sex worker mum. Many people thought the video was real, and the view count went through the roof. Soon after that came Beached As, which had a similar viewership, but also sold 80,000 Beached As themed t-shirts, and counted the flight of the Concords as fans. Next we learned about his partnership with Christian and Connor Van Vuren, and the path that led him to the Moth Effect. So I'd done, so after four or five years working with Lior, I started to to make stuff I had this you know urge to write and and uh act and stuff like that um kind of more or less out of out of nowhere and so I just started making stuff with my flatmate at the time a guy called Anthony McFarlane so he filmed me doing Trent he edited Trent he was the seagull in the beach daz thing and so we did those things together and they did pretty well and because of that I kind of it was the early days of, you know, YouTube and viral stuff. I did a few YouTube panels where I met Christian and I was like, man, this fucking dude is smart. And because I, you know, am relatively incompetent in so many ways, I kind of notice when people are good. So yeah, met him through that. And he had an idea of the hipsters. Uh, and then we just kind of built the world together yeah. after that. I've got to say, you're a part of that narrative, mate, because when I saw Wilfred, I was like, I think I want to do that. Oh, that's nice. And, and again, I don't want to kind of I want to blow too many smokes, but it was definitely one of the formative things that I saw that and like Flight of the Concords and Mighty Bush. I was like, these things, they're just silly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be a part of that lineup. But um, yeah, someone today, this, this guy who was 21 came up to me, he goes, oh, my dad used to love you. Used to love watching Wilfred and everything. I'm going, okay, so I'm getting the next generation now. Fully, I'm kind of getting that as well, by the way. Yeah, I bet you are, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's good and bad. It's good and yeah. bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's like, oh, my son really likes Trent now. <laughs> wow, that's, that's the whole thing. Question four, what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Learn more skills, like real life skills. Adam, don't you find in our world that we don't necessarily have our hands in the dirt a ton. And there are a lot of people in fact, that do, you know, a lot of highly artistically capable human beings, maybe as a performer, writer, producer. Like I don't, I haven't dug, I don't know how to build. I don't know how to, you know, I just don't know how to do stuff. My dad built our extension. My grandfather built his house. My great grandfather would, you know, built their house and ran their property. It's like, um, I just want to be able to develop real life skills and, and, you know, grow food and collect water and do all this kind of like 
cliched, you know, getting back to nature, rewilding stuff. But I, I, I definitely have that. My, my partner and I bought a essentially a, an exploded meth lab of a property <laughs> a few hours out of Sydney. It's a shit show, mate. It's a fucking shit show. But nonetheless, like I'm there laboring on the weekends and I'm, I'm learning stuff and, you know. Just, a real man. Oh, God, I wouldn't say that at all. Question five is, who is the person who most influenced you? Um, I would say my dad is a relatively boring answer. So he passed away about three years ago. But, you know, it, it's easy to kind of deify you, our, our parents as they go and stuff like that or, or not. But I, I certainly think back to what has some of the things that he used to say and do and his profound kindness throughout his life to his, his kids cannot, cannot be discounted. And it was so influential. Like I remember I'd have arguments with mum or whatever. I was a cranky little kid and he'd just sit me down and talk calmly and say, well, how were you responsible for that? And I was like, what do you fucking mean? Mum was blown moment. <laughs> He's like, forget it. But just talk to your role in that. Just let's talk to your role in that. I was just the time that drove me insane. But now I'm like assuming a point of responsibility is like this, this fucking really important thing. Yeah. That that he gave to me, and he also took us bushwalking as a young one. Like I remember being at his back and him walking me through the bush and camping in the middle of the blue mountains and meeting kind of lone hikers who give us trout and stuff like that. And he gave us a relation and took us into the desert when I was 13 or so. And oh, I know just a few of these things, he kind of gave me a, a, a relationship with nature that could uh, never be removed. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that. What did he do? He was, he, he worked in the disability service. So he was a public servant for many moons in occupational health and stuff but then for the last 22 three years of his career he worked at a disability service in the blue mountains called allura industries as the you know the general manager and helped employ and educate people with you know physical or mental disabilities or intellectual disabilities rather and um that it was it was brilliant because he had me work on their flower farms and delivering flowers and at the age of 15 and 16 i worked with these you know people with down syndrome that I hadn't had much experience before and found that they were hilarious and intensely intelligent and just, you know, he just did those things and he didn't mean to, I don't think it wasn't his agenda to kind of aware me up and expose me to good stuff. He was just a good egg and I followed him around and I was lucky enough to be porous to him while he was around. Yeah, for sure. Um, when was the last time you cried and why? Oh my gosh. I think I actually, I, I'm not necessarily a big crier and I had a pretty hard time crying at dad's funeral and stuff like that, just because I'm not necessarily good at that. But since, I don't know, since that and a few other things that happened, I find every now and then in nature, that's kind of where I metabolize, you know, some of the mourning and grief that I have for the old boy. So it was probably within, you know, about six months ago, I was kind of in the bush and just had a couple of tears kind of roll down out of part gratitude for being there but also um you know a, you know grieving for a kind man that went 15 years too soon you know you mentioned it before did he die like two years ago or yeah it's three years ago now sorry it was um it was a bit of a 
it was a bit of a shock at the time. Like he had Parkinson's, but he, you know, certainly like kind of won a bit of a lottery in terms of his Parkinson's because he was a bushwalker. So he had good muscle mass and didn't have hectic tremors and stuff, but he was kind of withering and calcifying. You kind of see that, um, that shrinking, but then um, he started kind of retaining water in his feet. And a few days later, we got a x-ray back that his body was riddled with cancer. And then 13 days later, he passed oh away. God. Yeah, it was like kind of bad, obviously, but like good that it was not drawn out and he didn't have this five-year, 10-year battle or whatever is, you know, you know, some people have. And I guess that's just us and me trying to find the silver lining. But um, Do you have brothers and sisters? I do, yeah. Two older brothers and a younger sister. Right. Question, question seven is what is your current state of mind? It, it oscillates between like trepidation and focus. I'm a bit... Um, I'm uh, healthily cynical about what's happening in the world at the moment. I think um, I kind of oscillate between understanding the change, being empathetic for the change, and then just being very, very skeptical about it. The idea of, um, you know, politics and even celebrity to to an extent has been demystified. And I actually think they're generally fairly productive changes in our society, but um, because they're not real and they're unhealthy and they're you know they're a construct and they can distract the shit out of us so i like that kind of cynicism in a sense but yeah that's focused and trepidatious what do you consider your greatest achievement i don't know maybe maybe being a a a good son i think or you know so that that in a familial sense i'll say like a, a a good son um and yeah, I, let, let me just say, I'll just say that. But then from a professional point of view, because I don't want to compare my profession to stuff as kind of as important as family, but professionally kind of what I'm doing now, which is worked hard to be able to learn how to write when I'm not necessarily naturally a good writer or not naturally, uh, you know, a particularly academic person at all. And I've really, really had to work at that. Um, and I have, and I can see the skills in that kind of growing so that professionally would be my greatest achievement because you, you came from more of a performing background did you and 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 went into writing from there well i came from i always developed i developed the concept of trend developed the concept mm. of beached and so it was in me to create these things but to go from like creating one or two minute things based on explosive or <clears throat> nuanced little things between a couple of cartoon characters to writing a show is a slightly you know it's a different craft as you know better than most and so to do that it takes a lot of labor as well as architecture as well as art and artistry and you know I didn't know that at the time you know as I was doing I was like well if I can do this I can make a show and the skill disparity was huge for me personally and again I'm not not academic you know but I'm I'm fortunate enough to to kind of think just work with such good fucking people like with the hipsters i had the likes of christian and then connor who were so competent and very actually quite academic and hilarious people similarly jazz he's a very funny academic finisher of things and i'm now more so that than i was but i definitely have have you know lent on other people's brilliance (laughs) mate you bring a lot to the table don't worry about that it's a a joy to watch you perform nervous energy just nervous question nine is who would you want on your side in a battle and why 
This is a good question because you go for brawn here. There's a few ways you could approach it. Go for brawn or just go for like, okay. Another guy, another guy. Guy called Gilly. He's a mate of mine. He's got giant calves and he's real naturally really strong. And he's a really good strategist. And he's a, he was a model for 15 years. So he's like cute as a button. <laughs> but he's also brilliantly intelligent, really strategic and kind of has my back. And so in a battle, we'd have quite a lot of fun. He'd be like, Nikki, what do you want to do? I'd be like, man, I think I want to run away. And he'd be like, done. Gilly. My mate, Gilly. How would you answer that question? Well, it, it'd have to be a mix of, of people, you know, um, uh, my wife Amanda for her intelligence and strategy. And, and I think um, uh, my friend, Sam Pang, he's the most charming guy. I know he would just diffuse any situation, but if it got nasty, he did play under 19s for Collingwood. So he could probably handle himself. He's glasser, he's glasser motherfucker, wouldn't he? Just in, you know, if Nick <laughs> That's it. you want someone who's like super friendly, gregarious, but has that switch thing. <laughs> glassy. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> I think I did say to him that I did say to him once when we were going to a pub or something, I said, oh, there's going to be a guy there. He doesn't like me very much. So you might need to uh, step in. He goes, it's worry. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Oh, that's so, so lovely. Yeah. You would have felt really warm and supported in that moment. I, I felt really supported, but at the same time, I didn't, I didn't think he understood the gravity of the situation, but I think he absolutely did. And he knew he could handle it. Wouldn't it be good to just be physically able enough to be fairly confident hand to hand, like that would make you yeah. feel pretty good. I'm, I'd get, yeah, smashed as well. Yeah, me too. I, you know, I've, I've uh, definitely, um, in my school days, lost more, more fights than I won. Oh, I don't think I've ever won a fight. I've just got <laughs> punched in the face, and I'm like, I am good. Sorry. I think I was winning once or twice when it got broken up, mm. but whether or not I would have continued winning, another story. Mate, there was a guy in my year, like at uh, at Knox. And so, again, I, I fancied myself as a bit of a tough guy early on in the piece because I spent a year at a uh, public school and had a few scuffles there. And then I repeated year seven at, at Knox and I kind of just went there and I was like, made the decision. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a fucking tough guy now because I feel older than them and I've done this before. So it kind of worked and in, a, in a sense for like a year. I'd kind of like shoulder check people and just be a bit of a hard ass. But then there was this guy called, I'll never forget him, Ben Healy, after a science class. I kind of shoulder checked him and did something. This guy's tiny as well, like tiny, small bloke, like one of the smallest in the years. And he just absolutely had me. And he had me. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to ever do that again. Like his fight was successful. He had me. Yeah, so that was when I learned that I was useless in a combat and I shouldn't kind of adopt that thing. But you're an actor. You acted the tough guy really well. I did. You, you fooled them for a year. 100%. And in, and in fact, what I did learn is that we are able to change ourselves. Because at my high, at the first high school that I went to, I didn't, wasn't, had no, no clout whatsoever. I was kind of just a bit of a, you know, just a, just a bit of a shit bastard, you know, no, of no note whatsoever. I had a mouth on me, but that's pretty much about it. Just, just, but then when I went to Knox, I was like, you know, this is my identity now. Yeah. And I was like, it was really important because I did learn that you could change and that's fully stayed with me. I'm impressed that you played a role for a year and you, you sold it. You I know? sold it, mate. I sold it. Uh, yeah, yeah, fully sold it. And it kind of works. It, it works to an extent if you kind of believe stuff enough.
Yeah, just go. Yeah. Just say, you know, remember you're a tough guy. Remember you're, you're a tough, tough guy. guy. You're a tough guy. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the final question. Yeah. What would you like your last words to be? Um, um, see you later. Yeah. Yeah, I'll see you soon. It's not. It's not. It's not a goodbye. It's I'll see you soon. I, I'm quite the, um, I would consider myself very spiritual, but though non-religious, mm. um, I feel like there is this meat suit that decays and the thing that animates it doesn't necessarily go away. I don't know, know what that looks or feels like, but I want to get to a point when I'm dying to be essentially in, in, inviting it, for lack of a better word. I want to ready myself for death. Thank you so much for tuning in to 10 Questions. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. So until next time, thanks for joining us.